0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to FocusCompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold and now here's andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast
1: welcome 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 how's everybody doing hope you are doing well my name is andrew coon focus compounding sitting next to jeffrey gannon jeff how's it going today it's going very well andrew how's it going with you it's going great we hope it's going great for everybody else as well in today's video we're going to spend some time going over the magic formula screen mm-hmm. that was created by joel greenblatt yeah We've never gone over the screen before, but basically what he does in this screen is it weights companies, um, pretty much the highest return on invested capital, and then the highest um, earnings yield, which is EBIT divided by enterprise value to show cheapness, and then it ranks it. And if you go to magicformulainvesting.com, um, you can sign up. It is for free. You can read his book that will really go over everything that this strategy um, you know entails. You can enter in your minimum market cap, number of stocks, and then it's going to spit out a bunch of different companies. Yeah. And a lot of people liked our podcast we did when we talked about stocks over 10 billion. So I figured, why not set the minimum market cap to 10, or this is currently at a billion, we could right. do 10 billion, um, and then just talk about larger companies. Okay. Have you ever read the book, The Magical I, Magic Formula of Investing, whatever the uh, title was?
0: Yeah, I've read the um, the little book of
1: what yeah a little yeah, it's watch right yeah something a like little that. book that beats market
0: there you go yeah yeah, 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 so yeah. I've, I've read the little book that beats the market a few
1: times yeah i haven't read that since i was probably back in 2014 2015 was the last time that yeah. I read i'm not it.
0: as big a fan of the formula and stuff as some people are in general why is that um uh because i think that like i don't like it as a formulaic approach i think that it basically shows you stocks that might be attractive but then you have to figure out for yourself whether they have Um, whether they have uh, moats and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it indicates like safety and stuff. It also excludes, if I remember right, it excludes financials, utilities, and railroads because of the debt issues there with having to figure that out. And then it also, like you said, is a rank thing where it ranks each of the two and then puts it together that way. Um, I also think there's been some research and stuff that shows that all the returns are coming from the value portion of it. Um, And I think that to the extent that returns come from high return on invested capital, having one year of high return on invested capital isn't significant. It's the stability of return on invested capital over a long period of time that's much more important than the level.
1: Mm -hmm. And I mean, the acquirer's multiple basically just takes the earnings yield point. And I think it was actually proven to do much better over time than the magic, uh, magic formula.
0: Yes. I think there's two different issues there. One's quality and one's value, and they're each measuring in different ways. I don't know which is the best approach that way, but a pure value thing, yeah, I think performs as well or better than this. And I think there's a way to measure quality,
1: but I don't think the best way to measure it is to just decide how asset like the business is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay, cool. So I change it to 10 billion. Okay. So this is larger companies. So and the first likely. one that we could look at as a company that we're familiar with, Altria Group, we could actually punch that into quick FS if we want, and we could pull it up. you Somebody actually recently asked about cigarette companies.
0: Yeah, and I looked at tobacco companies recently because of some question about that or something, and um, I w- they're cheaper than I thought they were. So I have uh, obviously haven't been following what's been happening with them in the last year or something in their stocks, um, but they seem not to have... Uh, th- their multiples are lower relative to the market than I would have expected.
1: Yeah, um, their actual dividend yield... Let me see what the dividend yield line this is. Isn't it pretty high? Yeah, 8.8%.
0: Yeah, so uh, actually... Um, that's, you know, tobacco companies might be a lot more interesting than I thought, especially when I looked at things that are, almost all of them that didn't have, kind of that I didn't recognize as having major holdings in other companies that wouldn't be captured by their price and stuff, but trade at really reasonable multiples around the world. So I didn't realize that. So I don't know what that's all about. Uh, part of that is just the market's multiple has gone up, so what I've said is a reasonable multiple is, is uh, you know, they if they stayed flat, yeah. that would have made it more attractive. And then part of it might be the kinds of stocks people are interested in right now. Maybe more speculative stocks, not so much tobacco stocks.
1: Mm-hmm. Look at their gross margins. They've gone up from 2010. And I'm kind of curious, when you look at a company like this, and, uh, you know, over the past, let's call it four years, yeah. it looks like revenue has, you know, greatly declined um and maybe the averages call it what a percent to a percent and a half if you count 2016 i mean how would you typically think about like future growth for a company you like, like that? Like
0: revenue growth is yes low. yeah mm-hmm. so it depends altria is the um uh domestic business, right? So they split off into two pieces, Altria and Philip Morris International, I think is the name they use for the other part of the business. So obviously volumes decline. Volumes mm-hmm. are cigarette volumes are declining. This is a cigarette company mainly. Mm-hmm. Um it has a little bit of business and some other things. But um cigarette volumes are declining in almost everywhere. I think they've even been down a little bit in terms of if we adjust them for per capita and stuff for in places like Africa and stuff even. Um, where they have been growing. So I think in the entire world now they're basically not growing. Um, So it's just a pricing thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously because of legal restrictions, they're so restricted in a lot of the world that you can keep raising prices a lot um, because new people can't come in and offer cheap solutions. If new people do come in and offer cheap solutions, governments will probably try to block them. Even when there is innovation in the industry and stuff, there's things from governments that stop that. Right. So like, you know, e-cigarettes came out and stuff and it's not like government said, okay, everyone can smoke inside and stuff as long as they're not smoking actual cigarettes and things like that. So as a result, it's an industry where you can probably raise prices a bunch. So mm-hmm. it's similar to like when I talk about the lime industry or something and why I would be interested in it. If I think that overall you're going to have, um, you're not going to have increasing competition. And sometimes that means you can raise prices. So that's, you know, the possibility there. Um, it depends a lot on capital allocation in a business like this. It becomes very very important how you allocate capital mm-hmm. So avoiding acquisitions and buying back your own stock are probably the best ways to do it Probably should never acquire anything else in the industry
1: and you should probably just use raise a lot of debt and buy back Your own stock that would get you the highest returns How do you think about where you can get your return in the stock? And of course, I don't know last time you've done a deep dive on this company But let's call it a 9% dividend yield probably pretty stable you know, Maybe it's growing by a couple percent a year. I don't think you should pay a dividend at all. I think you should just buy back your stock
0: because you're in an industry in which... Um so a few reasons one I you could harm your cost of capital and stuff over time if you pay out dividends and you could be subject to legal things and other stuff over time um even if you think you've settled all of those things like Altria had that um issue actually um they had settled all that stuff and things and then they had issues with the acquisition that they did that was totally separate from their liability that had to do with their legacy stuff and cigarettes um before the surgeon before the um state attorney general deal so um you can run into that problem. So you probably want to have the ability to pay out large cash settlements and things if you're in an industry like this. And then two, um, because people don't like your industry, don't like what you're selling, don't like you morally, ethically, whatever your stock will tend to trade cheaper. Right. So like when we talk about the ESG type things and stuff, that could mean there's an irrational from the perspective of just profit discount to your stock. So you should buy your stock back all the time. And then you're in an industry which has less competition than other industries. So really, in terms of if you're just maximizing the value of your stock over time, you would want no dividends and lots of stock buybacks. And I think dividends aren't smart at a a cigarette company, but they are. These companies do that. They pay Mm -hmm. out a lot of dividends and I don't think they should. I think they should generally just buy back their stock. But um uh, they do look a lot cheaper than I thought recently when I looked at
1: them. Let's look at Best Buy. Yeah. A company that just its probably so surprising to some people that, you know, well, they were able to turn it around and stuff.
0: Yeah. So if you look what happened, it somewhat turn it around. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they're not making any more money than they were 10 years ago. But the stock, and they're not more profitable or anything like that. Um, they're smaller than they were in real terms. They, you know, all that. But the stock got incredibly cheap. So it got to the levels of like we've seen with GameStop and Bed Bath & Beyond and things like that. It was trading at three, four, five times PE or something like that all the time, normalized um, for years, even though, and um, then it turned things around, as you said.
1: Mm -hmm. I think GameStop is... Yeah, I I buy things
0: from Best Buy all the time and buy more from Best Buy in their category than Amazon.
1: Best Buy is like one of my favorite stores to go into,
0: just all technology. Yeah, well, I mean, Amazon doesn't have any advantage over Best Buy. No online business has any advantage over Best Buy in their category. Now... Best Buy is a little different than other things online. And here's the problem with GameStop and stuff. The problem is that Best Buy convenience doesn't matter. No one cares about quickly buying a big screen TV or a phone or anything like that. The problem with GameStop is that it's a smaller purchase and people can download things directly and stuff. What's interesting, I noticed, is that if you think about it, a lot of people are buying games online um, for consoles and downloading them for... uh, for with GameStop right Mm -hmm. that actually would be faster to go there in person buy the game and come back Mm -hmm. but it's just the convenience of it where it is it doesn't matter in other things so I think that convenience has turned out to be very important part of the internet and the real reason why people are ordering from Amazon and stuff is like they already have an Amazon account they can order it can come they're no longer checking prices and seeing is Amazon actually cheaper maybe sometimes they're paying more for it um, like I said, I don't think Amazon is necessarily competitive with best buy, but I also think it's not competitive. With a lot of other categories. I don't know that it beats out, you know, bed, bath and beyond or something, but it's fast and you can do it from home and all those sorts of things. And so maybe price is less important to them and more matter of convenience. What That's happened to circuit city? Circuit City
1: went bankrupt in mm-hmm. fact it yeah, I remember a chapter that. seven liquidation not of chapter 11. Yeah. Do you remember like what it was that, you know, was it just competition? Was it best buy? Was it I really Amazon on it?
0: Um, they had a long history. Uh, they were a good to great type company. So they didn't have a history of being that strong. And they got strong and then it fell apart for them. Um, they were always, signif- in my mind, significantly weaker than Best Buy. Really? So they were number two that was significantly weaker um
1: than best buy in terms of
0: the look of their stores their layout things like that
1: but yeah it was a successful company for a while got it i wanted to bring up gamestop because the stock's up 20 percent because somebody bought 10 percent of the company looks like ryan cohen says the entrepreneur who built chewy.com into a pet supply giant and sold it for more than 3 billion is now pitching gamestop corp on a lofty goal become a true competitor to amazon.com inc um let's okay. see so he acquired 10 percent of the company
0: i mean i know chewy a little bit and stuff because i looked at when we looked at PetSmart. Mm-hmm. um i mean he he did grow chewy a bunch yeah uh, i mean he didn't make any money with it or anything but he managed to sell it to PetSmart to to eliminating competition in the industry and stuff and um it'll be a good asset for PetSmart. but mm-hmm. um yeah he used social media and stuff a lot to do it
1: got it let's talk about let's go down the list let's talk about ebay when was the last time you looked at eBay? Uh, I don't know, in the last year. Let's see. I don't know how real that uh, PE is.
0: It's a pretty cheap company, so let's see. The, it's easier to do it this way. The EV to sales is 3.8. Operating margin has been 20% over mm-hmm. time, so when we do that math on it, It should be about 15 times normal earnings or something if I adjust for the tax issue, which is what you're seeing with EV to free cash flow, Mm 16.1. I trust that
1: number, yeah. When you, before, when you were writing for Singular Diligence Mm -hmm. and you guys did it a lot of times on larger companies, what were you looking for? Like when you guys would sift through a bunch of different businesses, kind of maybe do, you know, a high level overview, like what was it that made you actually like dive deeper in all these companies?
0: Long term, strong history, everything improving over time. Um, stuff like that. It's very hard now to find in the really big companies. You did 10 billion. If you lower to like 1 billion, like for instance, I mentioned before Cinemark. Mm-hmm. If you do Cinemark in QuickFS, you can see what I mean. Um, I don't think it'll show up there. I just mean like here. If you take a ticket, CNK, you can see. So it's obviously cheap now or reasonable or whatever because of the fact that box office is down about 90% year Mm -hmm. over year. But let's just look at the numbers. And this is what I mean. You also uh, can look at the 20 year numbers, right? But don't do that for cinema because actually they had a change about 10 years ago or something. So it'll be cleaner if we do this, but like let's just look at the numbers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, gross profit generally rises each year, right? The first thing I look at is gross profit. Is it going up each year? Not gross margin, but actual gross profit. Okay. So is that going up each year? That's the first sign. The first sign of like a company that's telling you things that, We're growing and we're a growth company and whatever, but it's, I don't believe them is when you see deterioration and like their gross profit isn't actually growing over time. Got it. Okay. So is gross profit going up each and every year, the actual amount of gross profit? That's the first sign of like a growth company. The second sign is, um, things like, you know, revenue growth. Are they both going up? I look at both of them and then things like gross margin. I don't necessarily want to get stronger over time but I do want it to be stable and all that. And you can see it has high stability in, in those things. Um, this company uses less leverage than some of its peers. Um, it you know it, it leases its locations and all that, but it uses less leverage. Generally, the industry is consolidating, which I liked, and they're raising prices and increasing the amount of um, money they're making from concessions over the last 20 years or so. So I felt the industry was getting better. And there's only about four publicly traded well, there's more than four publicly traded ones, but there's... Reading owns Angelica and some things like that, so it counts. Marcus, but they own a lot of things that are outside of um, just movie theaters, too. So, Reading and Marcus are pretty small in terms of the actual number of screens and stuff. But other than them, you've got you know uh, Cinemark and AMC and all those. You don't have a lot of publicly traded companies anymore to buy into. Um, so, I like what you're seeing in the long term from the company and the amount of stability generally in it each year. So it's that kind of industry. The same thing. If we go into, um, you could see like a big company that we, uh, like, um, another one would be CCL, right? So carnival, we've talked about them before. If you look, there was some, this was somewhat predicated on oil prices. So if you go back to about 2013 or so, I think is that when Brent peaked, Sometime around then, I think, is when Brent peaked at like $110 a barrel or Mm -hmm. something. So that had a significant impact on their um, costs. And because of the way the business works, you have a higher oil consumption per person than maybe other competing methods for people to have vacations. So as a result, it kind of was attractive on the basis that oil prices would go down eventually and returns on equity would go up. So this is one where we thought return on equity, which had once been a lot higher, would now start to go back up again. It did as you can see, return on equity, like tripled or Mm -hmm. something doubled or tripled. Mm -hmm. But then of course, COVID happened. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's an example. The same thing is like when we looked at, um, frost, the underlying trends are things that we liked. So generally pricing on cruises hasn't been going up. So if you look again, gross profit tends to be rising, you know, each year, except to the extent they have fuel stuff. Now I looked at the numbers X fuel and they're really strong and pretty similar. So, That's one. And then also, like I said, I like it if there's not a ton of new competition coming online in the industry.
1: So how do you, I guess, when you come into an industry that is consolidating, Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you looking for? Is it like the business that's going to sort of, you know, winner take all type of situation? I mean, how do you typically judge that?
0: It's hard. It depends on how settled it is and stuff. So like people may like that Buffett bought into Apple now, but remember there were other things. I mean, Blackberry and Nokia were dominant at one time and they both completely fell apart to nothing mm-hmm. basically. So you, that's the question is when you see a company like that, yeah. you know, and, it, it, and then at other times the company can stay at a very strong position, but decline a lot in importance. So we had eBay, eBay 20 years after when it was really important, um, still exists and makes a bit more money and whatever, but obviously is greatly decreased in terms of its importance to the industry, but it didn't fall apart the way that Blackberry and Nokia did.
1: Do you think Buffett would ever invest in carnival? Yeah. Because he could put so much money into it, you know.
0: I could see him investing in Carnival, yeah.
1: Got it. All right, let's look at, uh, so we've gone over Buckle many times. Yep. Of course, that always comes up on this um, uh, on this list. What about McKesson? The stock always screams. Well, yeah, and you have experience with this well, company. Well, so
0: we've mentioned this before. There, There's like basically, what is it, three that would show up on this, I think. Um, companies that would be very similar. Uh, in terms of distribution of drugs, basically, um, they have a few issues, I guess. One is political risk stuff. And then also I would assume that these guys, I haven't looked at um, them specifically or anything about this, but I would assume that all of the drug distribution companies to pharmacies have a risk that has to do with um, uh, drugs that they may have um, distributed that were addictive and stuff like that and there's opioids yeah there's some lawsuits about that probably over time i can't imagine that that would end up being a very big uh meaningfully big item for them in the long run to change the value of the company though
1: i feel like whenever you come across companies that are tied to healthcare, Mm -hmm. they're just they look like the type of company a value investor would love generate a ton of cash ton of free cash flow growth is great very modest balance sheet. Yeah. Most likely no debt. You know what I'm saying? So right. it always looks just like so wonderful. For
0: me, these are the only ones I like in healthcare. Uh not this company specifically, but this this part of the healthcare business is one of the few things that I would actually like. Um because you have a lot more stability. So if we look at some of the items here. Um, so I don't like like pharma companies and stuff mm-hmm. because I feel like their advantage people like them because of the patents and stuff If I had an advantage between like distribution advantage or like an intellectual property advantage I'd always prefer distribution advantage Buffett's talked a little bit about this like people have said Oh, well car dealerships go away or something He said when there's a method of distribution that's been around for a very long time it tends to stick around and stuff And I've that's usually true The thing that people really underestimate usually is that the way that things have been distributed in the past is how do we distribute in the future? um as opposed to a patent which you know is going to be worthless eventually i mean not worthless because once other people come into the industry the fact that you were first does mean you get some market share still Mm -hmm. but you know the number two and number three will still add up to a meaningful market share so your pricing will be worse um so i like these kinds of businesses a lot better um as a possibility when they're cheap enough uh you have very low margins in this business technically Mm -hmm. but you have very high turns But it's kind of misleading that way. Um, What matters is the returns on invested capital and all that sort of thing.
1: So, Mm -hmm. which are pretty decent. The return over a long
0: period of time, and you have some growth. Yeah, but in general, I you know I think that health stuff tends to be kind of expensive. As long as I've been investing, it tends to be kind of expensive, and kind of people are overly excited about it. They think it's going to grow more than it really will, and those sorts of things. It's probably been twenty years that I felt that way. So. Omnicom, a company
1: we've talked a lot about on this podcast, yep. comes up on this screener.
0: So it's cheap, right? So we have here the last close is what, $49? I think I said, is that right? Correct, yep. Yeah, I think anything below $65 is pretty attractive. Um, this is a bad year for a company. It's a bad year for for advertising. Um I think capital allocation here is super important the same way as with tobacco companies because the problem that you're running into now is that I think their growth in this business for these big ad agencies is like as bad as it is in in tobacco. That doesn't mean it can't be, the business could be as good as tobacco. Um, It just means that you have to change what you were doing. And so you don't have a lot of opportunity to grow Um, organically and stuff like that. Their capital allocation has been very good historically, I think. And so they've actually tended to grow more and more over time while decreasing the number of shares over time so that the actual increase in shares is really high. Uh, Share, you know, EPS and stuff. Has
1: Buffett ever invested in an ad agency? Yes.
0: Buffett invested in a lot of ad agencies in the 70s and made a ton of money in them. Mm -hmm. So, um, including um, Interpublic, right, which is still around. And then also he invested in Ogilvy and Mather, in fact, I think I mentioned to you before that um, Ogilvy, the founder, introduced him one time as saying the person who's made more money in this company than yeah. I have. Yeah. Because he was <laughs> as good with the timing of his buying and selling as Buffett was. That's Buffett right. Made a ton in that. Yeah. No, those, those and they were all the ad agency stocks, I believe, were 10 baggers for him. Wow. Yeah. He bought them um, often around four or five times earnings. 10 times dividend yields things like that they get incredibly cheap ad agencies were insanely cheap in the recession in the early 1970s did he buy so he bought he multiple? bought everything he could of I course think, yeah he always does that it seems well like. he they got they were so small i mean they grew a lot but they were so small relative even to berkshire at berkshire small size that he to buy everything it would have taken a lot you know like to but he'd have to buy like 10 of some of the companies he kind of did that even with newspapers to some extent because he bought like we talked about, he bought affiliated, which is Boston Globe. He also bought Washington Post. He, you know, because there's a limit to how much you could buy of any one. He was trying to buy as much as possible. Um, yeah, Knight Ridder. So the, yeah, he bought a bunch of them at the same time too. Buying a lot in the same industry can be attractive that way. So um, I like Omnicom better than some of the other ad agencies long term. Why is only, that? Only because of the capital allocation. So we talked about it with, with tobacco and I think that's really, really important here. The issue here, if we look is, okay, so let's see like operating profit and stuff like that, right? Yep. So operating profit has increased very, very slightly over time, very slightly with, but that's a heavy cyclical element to that. All right. So it's up about 1.5 times over about 10 years, but 2010 was a low economic year and 2019 was a high one. Now of course this year it's going to be different. But, um, as a result, They did have increasing profit before tax and stuff on top of that we had a tax cut all right and this company is heavily us this is about 50 percent u.s company or something it's very high u.s concentration compared to most other ad agencies um and then it has uh decreased its share count if we can go to the income statement i think maybe that would be the best one is the income statement or yeah so diluted shares that's the best one to look at all right so if we look at diluted shares you can see that it's decreased each year and decreased by a significant amount if the stock gets cheap, it would be much more attractive to buy back a lot of the stock. And that's, you know, so for instance, you've decreased your share count by, um, let's see, 304 to 221, that has a very significant effect. So if we, um, we could do the calculation right now because it might help people to do it. So the share count diluted was 304 and 221. So one divided by 304. All right, and then We then go to one divided by 221. Okay. So if you look there, that gives you an idea by doing one divided by that. You can see how much the increase would be on it. Mm -hmm. So other things equal. And most companies, remember, are increasing their shares a little bit. You're having something that's 452 whatever to a number that's well below that that we just showed you. So it has a very meaningful increase over time. And in terms of percentage increase, it's pretty big. Um, because you can do that calculation in terms of like the earnings per share. We can show you that just on the overview; it'll do the calculation for us. So you give a hint of that. So if you can see, s- revenue is only grown by two point five percent, but EPS is grown by nine point one percent. But that understates what it could grow by in the future because it could grow by significantly more than that in the future because the stock buybacks could be done at a lower price. Omnicom though has shifted to put more and more dividend payout. Do we have the dividend payout ratio somewhere? Yeah, I think it's on the key ratios. ratios. They used to pay out less, if I remember right. So they're closer to half now, right? Yes. Am I right about that? 42, so it's not 43%. a Huge difference, but they're closer to half. I would rather they weren't doing that much, but they you kind just of buy back themselves. their stock instead. Well, yeah, because dividends are very hard to reverse, and so it would have been attractive. Like, let's look at yeah, price to sales. Okay, so things like price to sales. If we go down to the per share values down there, yeah, um, their price to sales for them, okay, is not that different. In fact, that's not updating it to today but is not that different for them than 10 years ago. All right. But the average, but what are interest rates? You know, interest Mm -hmm. rates are lower overall. Now it's very hard to find other stocks that are as attractive, things like that. So their multiples are the same as they were like 10 years ago, basically. Whereas for the average stock, it's a lot different. Mm -hmm. Um, so now it'd be a great time to buy back a lot of stock. And they just will have less available to buy back a lot of stock because they're paying a lot in dividends. Whereas if you paid a little bit less in dividends, you'd have more to buy back the stock, which is what I was saying with the tobacco companies. Mm -hmm. In the long run, I believe the tobacco companies that spend most of their money buying back their stock and the ad agencies that spend it mostly
1: buying back will do better um why do you think omicoms never really traded at a premium maybe in you know one did. year but it used to trade at a huge premium before uh around 2000
0: And before then it was a Got very it. hot stock in 2000 do we you can go to the 20 year thing so i can show you that would have been where it changed sure they were very popular back then as stocks interpublic might have been even more popular interpublic had a bit of an accounting scandal and stuff though um if we go to ratios you can see that in the 90s, these were hot stocks. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And it actually was higher than that the year before then, I think. So they were in the 30s, yeah, in terms of PE. and then But it's even more important, it's like price to sales and stuff like that, we could probably judge. So mm-hmm. price to sales was, you know, that's two and a half times what it was in later years. It got down to 0.8 or something like that. Yeah, 0.9, I guess. So it's a, oh, no, it got even
1: lower? <laughs> 0.63 in 08.
0: In 08, there you go. So to so give you gave an idea, that's four times. So you could make four times return just from going from the bottom to the top if that happened in that stock but you can see the worst example is how badly the stock did um and this is a problem think about it if you bought in 2000 when this was a hot stock yeah um and then it declined from there to 2008 the decline in the price to sales is so big that you thought you did really badly in the stock even though if you look on a revenue basis you did really well Mm -hmm. um like we can look at per uh the sales per share uh, let's. I think see. we have sales per, per share revenue. Yeah, so per share revenue actually more than doubled. Oh my gosh, Even at yeah. the bottom wow. of that, so that just shows you the the multiple issues, right? Mm-hmm. Because here's a stock that did terribly. If we look at the period and price, okay, let's compare the period and price. Yeah, do that, and you, know, you can do the next year because that's where it bottomed out. Thirty seven. Yeah, so that is the peak in two thousand, the economic peak and stuff, down to the bottom. Of the, of the their worst performing period in an ad agency, the worst in like 40 years um, since the 70s, was the bottom there at 37. That's more than double in a sh- pretty short period of time per share. So per share, they did a huge return. But if you look, um, the stock actually was down $2 over that period, right? Because the stock went from 41 to it peaked at 39 or actually 26 probably. So your stock actually had a significant loss. You wow. managed to lose a lot of money, even though you more than doubled sales per share. Uh-huh. And that's because... Seventy-five percent of that decline is attributable to multiple, so that's why I warn people about
1: that. Now you just don't see at, a lot of people talking about that nowadays because of just yeah. where we are in the market,
0: right? But that's what happened, you know, at other times, um, and what will happen now in the same way is that like your your decline in some of these popular stocks will be similar to this. The Omnicom now, uh, Omnicom in nineteen ninety nine was seen the way people see um, like Microsoft and Facebook mm-hmm. today, probably and Google. I'd say, in line with those, um, you know, at, at that point it was mature. The ad agencies were very popular. They were seen as probably being able to grow for a long time, and but they were already big, and mature companies and stuff. They weren't like growth companies anymore exactly, although they had really strong growth numbers, as you can see there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they were benefiting from online things and all that happening. It was a very strong period for them, and they were doing a lot of financial engineering too at that time because it was the '90s and everything. So they were doing a lot of the same sort of things that you've seen um you know that you read about with like GE and all that Mm -hmm. yeah they're they're pretty aggressive that way because ad agencies are pretty financially strong institutions so if you have a kind of creative CFO you can do interesting things with them that way you can borrow short and, and buy back your stock you can do big acquisitions you can do all sorts of things
1: and they did some of that you know in that period yeah this is what it looks like when your multiple gets cut in half and your revenue goes nowhere but up yeah. I mean, look, the from 30 times thing, to 15 or on a 16 per a share
0: basis, we can see it's up four times yeah. in 20 years, mm-hmm. which is not bad at all. I mean that that's really good, and and that's the per revenue. Other items like things like EBITDA, right? What's mm-hmm. EBITDA? EBITDA's up more like four to five times, yeah, over twenty years. Yeah, look at free that. Free cash flow, yeah, free cash flow. No one cared about in nineteen ninety nine, <laughs> two thousand. That remember? So the quality of the earnings, you know, the people didn't care about. Book On the value. other hand, they've never had right, but they've never had tangible book value. Uh huh. Yeah. So and they did it for the most part without adding debt. If you look, I mean, they, their debt has increased by some measures but in terms of if we don't have it here but like debt to EBITDA and stuff like and debt to sales and stuff hasn't really changed that much but assets is what it's comparing to here which is unfortunate but because the assets isn't really Mm -hmm. a we have debt to equity right there there. yeah but there's no equity in the company but uh, anyway the things that matter more like debt to sales and stuff like that and so the company's done perfectly fine that way like i said it's like a tobacco type thing Mm -hmm. but if we looked the problem is can you look yeah let's just check um the
1: 20-year thing on Altria. Altria did a spin-off though, but we could be able to see it. Yeah, let's pull that up. If you want to use QuickFS, tell them you came from Focus Compounding.
0: So let's this see. is part of what I mean about the multiple thing and the like attitude that people have about an industry. So we just compare two industries I think are pretty similar in a lot of ways. Tobacco and, um, and ad agencies, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of their growth prospects going forward, in terms of like um their high returns on capital somewhat um consolidated industries things like that so if we look at their ratios altria you'll see that back in 2020 okay back in 2020 yeah they were at multiples that were about, i mean back in 2000 so 20 years ago they were at multiples that were about one-tenth of where they are now yeah wow yeah so, because that was the low point for tobacco companies and stuff. Um, they also, I believe, have increased debt more. I'd have to check that, but I think in general, tobacco companies increased debt more. But as you can see on like per share numbers and things, there hasn't been the increase. Now, they spun the thing off there, so that's tricky, but you can see where they spun it mm-hmm. off. You can see where they broke it up. Mm-hmm. So, you can see that before then, it wasn't like it was going up. So, in many ways, ad agencies as businesses have been much better than tobacco as a business for 20 years. Now, they paid a lot out in dividends, but actually, the ad agency paid a A lot of dividends too um so overall it's not that the businesses perform badly it's that you were paying an incredibly low multiple for tobacco companies in 2000 an incredibly high multiple for ad agencies Mm -hmm. but that does feed into it eventually because like now people i think think of tobacco companies as safer better whatever than ad agencies i wouldn't necessarily agree i think they're much more comparable than people might think but you've had 20 years of like improving multiples in one of them and 20 years of declining multiples in the
1: other so then, how do you judge that going forward? Then, like, is twenty, you know, what what's that saying? It's well, you don't count the, the mul- trends. And you stuff don't like. count the multiple expansion or contraction as part. I mean, you got it;
0: you benefited from it. Uh-huh. But you can't count that in terms of looking at the past. That's how the stock
1: did and how the business did are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm saying, like, if you come into Omnicom with a fresh set of eyes and you say, okay, when well, the multiple has contracted, but the business has actually done great, yes. so then, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. a good example is Microsoft. You so, wrote about Microsoft, by the way. Somebody yeah. posted on Twitter. You wrote about it. I don't know what, maybe 2010, 2011, yeah. when it was at like less than 10 times earnings or something like that. Yeah, I, I remember writing about it at like 17 or something. Yeah, like that. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but the um, uh, the thing with Microsoft, if you look at that, is I think Microsoft's had an experience in terms of the business and whatever, and there were risks at one point to it that you, maybe you couldn't tell okay but if we look at the look at the 20-year numbers i think microsoft is a situation where the company has changed less the company's competitive position has changed less than 20 years than people think but the fact that it was so expensive 20 years ago and then so cheap 10 years ago has led people to judge more of the business changing than the stock and so, like, they, you find a narrative to fit the stock. So, mm-hmm. if the stock does terribly for 10 years, you f- try to figure out why that would happen. Sure. But it happened because people yes. were paying 53 times earnings for a business that was already a, what was the bit market cap on that? It was almost $400 million. Yeah. Uh, $400 billion, yeah. sorry. So, it was already, you know, it was like records that, you know, what is that? 15 times sales, right? Am I right 15 times sales? Yeah. It's 15 times sales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 yeah. times sales. You can't pay 15 times sales for anything. So it's too much that they're paying. So then the stock goes from there down to, like we saw. But look
1: at the revenue per share over the time.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. The revenue per share is going up nicely. So the revenue per share triples, but the stock actually, the multiple contracts. In this case, it's even more extreme. It contracted 80%, actually a little bit more than 80%. So this got down to like a 9p or something, mm-hmm. which is like around the time I was talking about stuff is like you said, like 10 times earnings mm-hmm. or whatever, saying that's just just too cheap. It's crazy. And so it recovered a lot from that. But as you can see, what's the history of Microsoft as a stock? 2000 to 2010... It's almost all multiple contraction. Yeah. So people try to tell a story about it that has something other than multiple contraction. They don't want to say, oh, the crowd
1: was too enthusiastic in 2000 and too pessimistic today. Yeah, it's not true. I mean, if you look at, their, I mean, look at their revenue and everything, it's gone nothing but up profits, right? EBIT. We just looked everything. at
0: three companies that I mean, so Microsoft grew a lot faster and did it without like buying back their stock as being the main way of doing it. But we just looked at three companies that honestly, if you didn't know the stock price, tobacco. Um, operating systems and ad agencies; these were in every single year high-quality companies, cash flow generative, generally doing slightly more business than last year in terms of like nominal amounts. Although sometimes it was just price increases, mm-hmm. you know. May they used to be growth companies, but they aren't anymore and stuff. So they are different. Now, like Microsoft, you can see there's a surge in earnings, uh, surge in earnings there's a surge in revenue and stuff recently. But by the way, it's not different than when they had their worst decline. So if you look there, um, if we look at the early 2010, uh, yeah, if we look back and we go back to like um, the, let's say mid 2000s or something. So where are we there? We could see, yeah, 2006 to 2009 or so. We can see that that actually is similar to their revenue growth rates now. Pretty similar. Mm-hmm. You know, they did yeah. 11, 15, and 18 on their year-over-year growth there. And lately, they've done, you know, 14, 15%, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, in fact, they, I think, bought back more stock at that time. Yeah, they are buying back more stock. So, if anything, you know, EBITDA numbers and things like that were the same or better than now. So, we're experiencing about the same thing mm-hmm. as we did in the mid-2000s. But in the mid-2000s, during that time period, it dropped from a P of, like, 18 to 10 or, you know, something like that over those four years or 21 to 14, whatever you want to put it. So, it the multiple declined by like a third, the P multiple. Yep. And yet in this environment, what's happened with the P multiple? It's expanded by like um, more than a third, Mm -hmm. actually quite a bit more. So, you know, why did that happen? There were some things with interest rates and whatever, but I think more likely there was some optimism already in place now Mm -hmm. and whatever. And this drove that up and some pessimism back there. I'm not saying the optimism is not founded here, But going into the financial crisis, they were actually growing at the same rate they're growing at now, basically. And not just like any one number, like by a lot of numbers, they're very similar. The business looks very similar 15 years ago and today. And yet the multiples look very different. And the multiple was contracting back then and it's expanding now.
1: I was going to say, so look at it. This is back in 2008, 2009, 2010. You know, that would have been the tough time to hold. It's like We bought buy-in at maybe, quote unquote, a market multiple, I guess. Maybe not, but like, you know, 15 times earnings and then it drops to 10 and then nine and then back to 15. You know, that would have been hard for a lot of people. I mean, if you think about this being over five or six years, how many Mm -hmm. people could actually like sit and and hold that and continue to, because I think the takeaway from here is A, don't ever pay 50 times um, earnings. Or if you want to go up the income statement, don't pay 15 to 16 times price of sales, Mm -hmm. right? Because multiples do matter that you do pay. But if the business does consistently improve, Hold on tight, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, literally hold on. Um, But the multiple you pay today really matters. And again, you don't see a lot of people talk about that. People are okay paying 30 times EBITDA or 30 times EBIT or whatever because the market has greatly rewarded that. Yeah, if you look here... And here's the difference too, not to cut you off again. People say, well, maybe you pay these higher multiples for these technology companies, but I mean, Microsoft's in the same business. And look what happened to them.
0: Yeah, and... You know, I mean, this is a company that was. We can see the market cap here. It was valued at about four hundred million dollars in twenty twenty. Then it was cut down two thousand. Uh, two thousand, sorry, and then it was cut down to um, about two hundred million with far fewer shares outstanding. By the way, yeah. It also had started paying a dividend, and people didn't like that, but it greatly increases dividend and bought back its stock at the same time. This is when the multiple was contracting the most. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, when the company switched to paying growing at rates that were similar to what it had been growing at in twenty in two thousand, it actually was growing a bit faster. So revenue growth was even faster than it had been at the peak of the bubble. And yet it started paying a dividend and raising it greatly and buying back stock. It's multiple was contracting that whole way down. Mm -hmm. But that's because people had bought in big institutions and stuff, right? At 50 times earnings. And they saw it drop to 20 times earnings. Mm -hmm. So they're having a bad experience with this stock. They're selling out of it. It takes a long time to get all those people out of it and, you know, to get people optimistic about it again. So So what's
1: the takeaway from that?
0: Well, I say look at these long histories of 20 years or more. Graham, one of his best things, Ben Graham, was that he would show you two companies in his class, and then you would find out at the end that they were the same company at two different points of time. And I'd say that with stocks. Very often, the stock price changes way more than the business. And then there's this feedback where we try to explain a narrative um, for why the stock did what it did. Now, I think there's some justification in the case of Microsoft that there were some risks to it. Just as there was justification to Apple being as cheap as it was when Buffett bought it. There's some potential risks. There are some competition and things. People may not have known would Microsoft be able to transition to a model where they may be mainly were charging people for like subscriptions mm-hmm. and stuff in the cloud and stuff. So some people were saying, oh, there's the clouds coming and Microsoft won't be able to make any transition to it and it'll be ruined. Um that was an argument and you could see that that coincides with when the stock was cheap but i don't think that's the main reason i think that the main reason people were believing that story is because the multiple already contracted like 80% or something mm-hmm. if the stock if a stock has a high and expanding multiple over time people are much more willing to um, be positive about the business's future prospects. I think they let it feed into them. that The stock performance has been poor or strong for a while. And they start to explain that that must be why that happens.
1: Yeah. If, if, if I'm doing the math right on this too, if you did buy, let's say at this market cap mm-hmm. and you still held it to, you know, 1.5 trillion, which yeah. i don't know how update this is it's 7% per year in the market cap. And then right. you did get, you know, the dividends,
0: I, I, the dividends and the stock over 20 uh, years has fallen a uh, stock. They actually, for the last 20 years, they've reduced their share count almost every year now. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that you got. So you've gotten more than, you know, you've done better than 7% a year. You yeah, significantly better than that over 20 years um, in Microsoft, having
1: bought at a very high price, if you sell today at not a low price. yeah.
0: <laughs> so you have to reach that point again.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding podcast. If you want to sign up for QuickFS, again, make sure you tell them you came from Focus Compounding. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button and we will see you in the next podcast.